talk about inspiration. We independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptists have a distinction about us. We wish we didn't. We wish we didn't have this distinction. We wish we wouldn't be so rare. We wish that everybody that sells themselves a Christian would believe that the Bible is reliable and the very words of God. We wish they would believe that God was big enough to create everything that's ever been seen, that he's big enough to preserve the Bible, even though he had it written by men, which are, much, which are very imperfect. And as well as you know, and you know this, you can tell a story. If I had a little uh, Bill, I tell him what, bought a gun at, at the local gun store, and I told it to Marilyn, she whispered it to Jimmy, and Jimmy whispered it to Harris. By the time I got to the back there, it wouldn't even be close to what I said. We just, you just can't hardly repeat it. I, these preachers know this. Try to do a brochure one time. See how hard it is to get it perfect. To get it errorless. is unbelie It's unbelievable how hard, how hard it is to write a book. And to, and to get a book that doesn't have misspelling error, spelling errors in it, grammar errors possibly. Uh, even with the computer, even with the AI, they still struggle with getting perfection. Because we're in a system that's cursed. A system with error written in it. And it's hard to. So people say, well then how could the Bible possibly be true after all these years? Because what well, time we're done tonight. Uh, what I'm going to teach tonight is taught in every independent, fundamental, Bible-believing school and church that believes the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, like we do. That's a distinction we have, but we don't. We believe it. We don't believe the Bible is allegorical. We don't believe it's, it's a story saying it's the way it may have been or may have, what it was like. We believe the Bible is exact. That it's an exacting book, a, a, a very exacting book. And we take it in its literal, normal sense as if you would take any book that you would read. You wouldn't start out reading a book thinking, well, it doesn't, this really doesn't mean what it says. It must have some secondary meaning. You wouldn't look at a book like that. If you're trying to put together a, have you ever bought a uh, cooker, cook, uh, you know, a grill? And try, for 50 bucks, they'll put it together for you. Right. Pay it. Right. <laughs> Pay the money. For 50 bucks, they'll put it together for you, or you can put it together. That's the first mistake you ever made trying to put that thing together. I tell the story of putting a thing together, and I didn't say, my wife said, do you look at the instructions? I said, I don't need that. So I put a lot of stuff together. I put the thing together. I was three-quarters of the way done. Went to put a part in, and it wouldn't go. I went back to the instructions and said, you've got to put this in at the beginning. <laughs> so I had to undo everything and, and do back to that place where I put that one part in. And she mocked me the whole time. And I deserved it. I should have read it literally and in its normal sense, the instructions to that. Well, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 20, 21, these are real, real classical verses on inspiration. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It does not stand on its own. You can't make a doctrine out of one verse. It all is interdependent on the first mention, the comparative mention, and the last mention of the rest of the Bible. All Scripture must, if it's written by one mind, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God, no matter who he wrote it through, he wrote it with one mind, it will, it will, it will mesh together perfectly. 
if it was written by one mind, and the Bible says it is. So prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The Bible didn't come because men said they want a holy book and we want to start a religion. We were just talking today about the first Star Wars movie. We talk about deep stuff at church. Yeah. We're talking about the first Star Wars movie and how George Lucas came up with this script, you know, for the Star Wars when he was a kid. And he had the whole idea of this fiction. It's, by the way, it's fiction. There are no lightsabers. I'm sorry. There's no Ewoks. There's no. There's no little. None, none of that's real. But when they first that movie was such a hit, took the world by storm. I mean, literally went around the world. It had it. It raised up a fervor of loyalty, and 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 a. And the, the God he had made up in that movie was the force, impersonal force. And there was the good side of the force and the bad side of the force. And whichever one you gave into, that's what, that's what you became. You gave into the bad side, the dark side, you were dark and evil. You gave into the good side, you were good. And, George, and, the, and the guy, one of the other directors in a Spielberg, oh, Spielberg, I think he's Jew, said to George, why don't we start a religion? We can start a religion. And they could have. They could have started a religion. We're one of the force. And probably he said, man, George says, I want nothing to do with starting a religion. Uh, but uh, th that is how uh, gullible people are. It was, if, if they started their own religion. No. The Bible not, was not started because men wanted to start a religion. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, smothered over, moved, moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Some more verses. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Going all the way back to 2 Samuel 23, 2. All scripture, and this is another classical Old New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that is completed, whole, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's why if I have an emotional time of emotional problems, I go to the Bible, not a psychologist. If I'm having some marital problem, I go to the Bible, not marital. I really don't go to a marital. I'm not against marital counseling. But I'm against marital counseling if you haven't sought God first. Go to the Bible. It'll solve it. It's got the answer because God wrote it, and he, he made us, and he knows you better than anybody else. Who knows your problems more than God knows your problems? The Bible has the My old-timers I grew up with said the Bible has the answer for every problem. It has the answer for every question, too. I believe it to be so. Or some more verses along the inspiration here. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, Jesus' words, one jot or tittle, that is like the crossing of a little T and the dotting of an I, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. By the way, you have to be deity to say that. That's a good deity of Christ verse, because when Christ said that stuff, he had authority as God manifests in the flesh to say that. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, interesting when Paul said this, For this cause also thank we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as a word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Where did, where did they hear it? Through Paul and the apostle and those who were with him. 
But he said, the word you heard wasn't from us. It was the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you the believe. God chose to put his word through men. Would, would people have believed it more if he had used some animal to do it or an angel to do it? The point is that God used a, a, a man and men to write the Bible because he wanted to, the Bible says there'll be no flesh glory in his presence. God uses imperfect people to show him manifest his power. Beautiful. He'll take an old drug addict and make him a preacher. Jesus verified the Old Testament when he spoke. In the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, what scriptures did they have? Well, they had the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament there. So in this scripture, he verifies the inspiration of the Old Testament right there. Jesus. I don't believe the Old Testament is necessary. I think it is if Jesus says it is, amen? Well, I don't understand it all. That's okay, just mumble, mumble on through that part. When you hit the genealogies, do the best you can, you know. But keep moving. Keep moving. And you, pretty soon as you go over that stuff, it'll start clarifying itself and making sense, and God it will pull the veil back from your mind. Luke 24, 44, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Those are the three divisions of the Torah, three divisions of the Bible, the scriptures, the Bible, the Old Testament Bible, 39 books concerning me. So he believed that they were inspired. I believe they're inspired. I, I had a, I said this numbers of times, and forgive my, forgive my rep, repetition on some of this stuff, but I, I had a debate with a rabbi, live radio. And uh, he was trying to make me look stupid. And I said, he asked me if I believe, he believe I believe Jonah was uh, swallowed by a, a whale. I said, no, I believe Jonah was swallowed by a large fish, just like the Hebrew says. He looked at me like, what would you know Hebrew? I said, well, I don't. I know a little Hebrew down the road. <laughs> but uh, he's trying to give me a hard time. I said, do you believe Noah and, and the ark and the great flood? He didn't believe anything. He didn't believe anything. I believe the Bible. Here was a Jew born, a physical Jew, which was an unbeliever. And here I am, a Gentile heathen, which was a believer. That God grafts me into his family because of faith. Because you don't get into God's family without faith. God preserves his word. Boy, he does. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.89. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words, plural, shall not pass away. Do you believe that tonight? Say amen if you believe so. Amen. Yeah, man, I feel like I've always, one of my dream in life is, is to preach in a black church. <laughs> you, you people can't change your color, but you can help me out. I watch them black preachers, and brother, I've always been envious of black preachers. I, they can up there and say, say amen. Amen, brother, preach it. It's like sick him to a dog. Let's go over some logic here with what I've said so far. If the word of God is exact, preserved forever to the very words, we just went over those verses, you know that's a true statement. Then it is ultimately God's responsibility to maintain them. He will raise up whoever he needs to maintain them 
unlikely as it may seem. God's involved in preserving his word for every generation. Otherwise, he'd have to apologize to the generations that didn't have it. Some more logic. Our reading of his words then should be consistent, repeatable, and the same through the generations. This is why the literal or normal method of interpretation is our approach to the Bible. It is the approach to all sane language. Six reasons, these aren't mine, but these are six reasons from, I believe it's Bernard Ram, and he's the most authoritative person I know of in this area. Six reasons we use the literal approach for Bible interpretation. And I think Bernard Ram is a major source of anyone defining literal interpretation. They have to go to him. He did such a good job on this. First of all, six things. The literal meaning of sentences is a normal approach to all languages. If the scripture makes sense, that's good enough. Let's just leave it there. Don't try to put a second sense on it, a third sense on it. That all secondary meanings of documents and parables and types and allegories and symbols, and there are some of those. There's one allegory I know in the Bible, but it's defined as an allegory. Uh, depend, depend on their very existence on the previous literal meaning of the term. So the literal meaning and consistent use of terms is the only way you can use parables, types, allegories, and symbols based upon those words that you've already defined that you can use. Number three, that the greater part of the Bible makes adequate sense when interpreted literally. I, I may stop and say this too. 95% of what God wants you to know is written in the Bible. 5% the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, you're not going to learn any of the Bible without the Holy Spirit's tutelage. But everything you need to know is there. It's in the book. You just got to go to him and say, open my eyes and open my understanding that I may see wondrous things out of thy law. Let me see these things, God. Help me. Don't be cocky about it. Number four, he says that the literalistic approach does not blindly rule out figures of speech, <coughs> symbols, allegories, and types. We recognize those things if it's clear in a text that that's what they are. But if the natural sentence, nature of the sentence so demands, we readily yield to the second sense. You find a lot of that in the book of Revelation. It says these were like as, uh, even as. When, when you have Ephesians chapter 5, when it, the best place... The best place I know in all the Bible about marriage is Ephesians chapter 5, verse maybe 24 through 32, I believe it is. That passage has over and over again, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, I'll tell you, that's one high standard for loving your woman. I mean, that's one high standard for loving your wife. Says so the wife submits you to your husband. I think that's a lot easier than me loving her, my wife like Jesus loved me. You tell me which is the hardest, submitting to somebody or loving somebody like Jesus loved them. We, we men, we, with leadership comes responsibility. Amen? Uh, number five, that was poor. That's poor, poor feedback on that, but you aren't used to being in a black church. <laughs> this method is the only sane and safe check on the imaginations of men. 
Jesus gave the Bible, God gave the Bible, knowing, I believe, the, let's just go back to the Old Testament. Moses wrote the Pentateuch through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in about 1450, possibly down even to 1406 B.C. That's 1400 years before Jesus was born. That's the Old Testament. Now you have the writing of the New Testament, and that was completed, we believe that was completed about 100 A.D. We believe John, actually, the Apostle John, Apostle of Love, was the last one to die, and he gave the last few books. He gave 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then his last book, Book of Revelation, which was the end cap of the entire Bible. So you have Genesis as the beginning, and Revelation as the end cap of the Bible. That only took about 100 years to do. But that's been around now for about 1,900 years, and God knew that we needed this. Every generation needed the Bible, because faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. Sanctify, also I didn't preach on this yet, but sanctify, sanctification comes through the Word of God, because it says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy Word is truth. So you're not going to get sanctified. That means set apart to God, set away from sin without the Word of God. You're not going to get saved without the Word of God. You're just dependent, and I'm dependent on the Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, preserved by God Almighty, sustained by God Almighty, which gives me some assurance that my salvation is sure also. When I read about the Bible verses about salvation, I have a confidence that God Almighty has breathed that to the people who wrote it. Number six, boy, that's small. That this method is the only one consonant or consistent with the nature of inspiration, this literal method of interpretation. By the way, we're in a minority among Christian, and that's real broad. We're in, in it, we people that believe the Bible is literal are in the minority group, not the majority group. The Catholics absolutely do not believe in literal interpretation. Uh, neither do the Seventh-day Adventists. Neither do the Jehovah Witnesses. Neither do the Mormons start going down the list. They don't believe in literal interpretation because they couldn't come up with what they believe by the literal method of interpretation. It contradicts them. Because when I deal with them, I just go to the Bible and say, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, they say, well, you missed something. Well, I didn't miss anything. Look, we call this plenary inspiration, verbal plenary inspiration. Fancy word, I'll define them. The plenary inspiration of the Bible, that means word or that's, that means the word plenary can mean absolute inspiration of the Bible. teaches that the Holy Spirit guided men into the truth and away from error. Verbal plenary inspiration. This view gives a greater role to the human writers of the Bible while maintaining a belief that God preserved the integrity of the words of the Bible. The effect of inspiration was to move the authors so that the, to produce the words God wanted them to. I do not believe it was dictation. I believe it was plenary, verbal plenary. We have preachers here who know all of what I'm talking about. Why isn't it dictation? Well, then man had nothing to do with it. But God wanted, as you read Paul, and you people know Greek, you read Paul, he had a style. You read John, he had a completely different style. Then you read Peter in the Greek, and he's just got to, he makes his own words up. Got a completely different style. Yet God had his, said them say exactly what he wanted them to say, but did not erase their personality. That would have been dictation. We believe in verbal plenary. We believe in the absolute word inspiration of these authors that produce what God wanted. 
but he didn't dictate it to me. He used them through the Holy Spirit in an unction in them, have them write what he wanted them to write. Exactly. In the process, the Spirit of God used language and the units of language uh, as words and thoughts. The thought is a thread that strings the words together. I don't want to lose you on this. Therefore, our very exegesis must commence, or, uh, or explanation must commence with a study of words and grammar. So that's what we do. The two fundamentals of all meaningful language are words and grammar. Then those put together are a sentence and a thought, because what is a sentence is just a thought made up of words. God did all that. He, he preserved all that. He, so this is a formal definition, verbal, plenary inspiration, the belief that the entire Bible comes from authors whose hearts and minds were inspired by God. Their mental processes were sharpened and elevated for the task. But somehow only God could do it. He did not lose their personality in the process of that. When you come to the Bible without faith, it rejects you or you reject it, but I think both things happen. The only way God opens that Bible up to you is when you come in faith. And it's got to be childlike faith. And then God opens the Bible up to you. It's so, it's, he gives, he, I'm going to say it this way, he gives the liberal reason not to believe. He gives them reason not to believe because they don't want to come in faith. They want to come with reason and not faith. And he gives them the reason not to believe by having men write the Bible. The idea of inspiration was to clarify, not to obscure the Bible. God intended to get a message across. His instruments were men. His Holy Spirit gave them the words and sentences. He used their vocabulary and their styles. He then preserved it for eternity to fulfill it in the most exacting terms, jot and tittle. That's a dot of an I and a little cross of a T. He cares about syntax, which is a fancy term for order of words. We believe the Bible's even inspired, not just the words are inspired, and the sentences are inspired, and the paragraphs are inspired. We believe the actual order of the words is inspired. So when he, you'll hear me preach along that line. When, I have a, when there's, there's five major sin lists in the, Bible, in the New Testament, and, and you look at the first one, that means something. First is first for a reason. Then there's one that's the last. There's a reason once something's mentioned last. The order of the words makes a difference. And this is so I don't continue to ramble on. I've been sending that picture to people up in North Dakota, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Kansas, wishing them the best. I'm happy to be a Christian tonight. I'm happy to have a Bible tonight. Did you know all hell, and I mean that in the most literal sense to mean it, all hell has tried to stop the Bible. Hitler, had he won, would have rewritten history and changed the Bible to make the Aryan race number one. That was of the devil himself that had to get wiped out.
But he wasn't the first one to try to do that. The beast, the Bible says in the tribulation period, the beast is going to seek to change times and seasons. He's going to get rid of Easter and Christmas and going to make holidays around himself. Because according to Thessalonians chapter 2, he's going to declare himself God. I think this UFO stuff's all tied in. I think it's warming people up. I think we're so close that we're starting to see the warming up of the thought processes. If there's aliens, and the alien's going to, maybe the beast will claim to be an alien, who knows, and he'll say, I, I brought your human race here and dropped you off, and we've been paying attention to you, watching you. Uh, you've seen a little bit of us here and there, but we haven't re revealed ourselves because we've been kind of watching how you're doing, because he's going to have to be pretty good to stand up in the temple of God, making himself, as he is God, saying he is God, putting his image in the, in, in the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, and saying, I'm God. I made you. I brought you here. And they're going to eat it up. The world's going to eat it up. Except for Christians and the Jews. The Christians that have got saved during the tribulation period and the Jews, the Bible said, flee when you see him do that. Don't go up and get your clothes. You got man, apparently they had to leave all their clothes. I'm sorry about that. Girls, don't get your shoes. Just take off. Because the persecution is going to come in that last three and a half years as never in the history of the world, nor ever since, will be. He's going to just try to destroy the people of God that are there as much as possible. But God's going to help them, as He always does. Well, it's good to be a Christian. I hope you. I hope this helps you some. See this. This is a little bit of what you get in school when you go to school and study how the Bible came about and all this other stuff. We have good books on this. Ryrie has a book called. Uh, he has a good book. Is a book about the doctrine, fundamental doctrine. I can't say not the name of it. Well, we got it in there. And he talks about the inerrancy of the Bible. That's probably something that would pop in your head. Is the Bible inerrant? It is. How can that be? Well, he's got about 40 pages in there that he'll go into detail, show you how the Bible's inerrant. He does the best job about anybody I've met. And I can't remember the name of his book, so you see how bad off I am. But anyways, it's in there. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that we, woo, we can rely on what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947-1285. Thank you and God bless.